You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Welcome to the program. Today is the 22nd day of April 2021. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. And the chat room is available for uh, questions or comments during the reading. And that you can find that at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally mormon. And I will take phone calls after the reading today. So we are reading Holy Priesthood, Volume 4, 
And this whole volume is about polygamy. So um, all of the chapters going through it all, uh, we're going through the history of polygamy and how different people lived polygamy in the past and why the Romans did away with polygamy in the early Christian and Jewish churches and uh, religion, whatever. We're going to talk about the Catholic Church today. Um, this particular chapter is 30 pages long, and uh, I only do about 10 pages at a time. <clears throat> so we're going to be doing three parts to this. So I'll be doing this uh, today, uh, tomorrow, which is Friday, and then I will come back to it on Monday. Uh, we do go live 4 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, and uh, and we just I just read and talk about things until we're done. We can go till 6 o'clock uh, Mountain Standard Time, so a two-hour period. Uh, but if we don't have any questions and comments after the reading, we will just go to the end of the program. And then this will be posted to Podcast Addict, iTunes, Apple iTunes, our podcasts, and a bunch of different places. So, all right. I'll uh, dedicate the program, and we will get right into the reading. O God, the Eternal Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We come before thee this day in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ. We ask thee, Father, to forgive us of our sins and our transgressions, that we may have thy spirit to be with us as we study these topics out of history and of the restoration of the gospel through the prophet Joseph Smith. We thank the Father for Joseph Smith and all that he did to bring forth this doctrine to lay the foundation for the redemption of Zion. And we thank the Father for the atoning sacrifice of thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We love thee, Father, and we ask for thy blessings to be upon us as we seek to understand thy gospel. We do these things and dedicate this time unto thee. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. The Catholics, Part 1 of Chapter 11 of the Holy Priesthood, Volume 4, pages 100 to 110. The Catholics, Polygamy Against Secular and Ecclesiastical Law. As is true... In every dispensation, when prophets bring the word of God to man, the gospel of Jesus Christ also began to be changed within a few years of its beginning. Departure from true principles did not occur suddenly, but rather with small compromises, gradual changes, and alterations similar to the setting of the sun when darkness slowly overtakes the light. During Christ's ministry, there were thousands who came to listen and follow him. But just before his crucifixion, all the disciples forsook, forsook him and fled. Matthew chapter 26, verse 56. I suppose that's probably because they didn't want to get in trouble for associating with, with Jesus, with the charges that he had. And... Uh, 
that's a shame because I, I, I've seen this. I think it's human nature. You know, um, when people are accused of something, rather than stick it out if you're their friend, that people just, like, flee like leaves in the wind. Uh, you know, they, they have no uh, – well, I don't know. I think that, you know, sometimes people do things and you're like – I never would have seen that coming, but sometimes you never saw it coming because it never did happen. They're just being accused of something they didn't do. Like Jesus Christ was accused of things that he didn't do. You know, they brought all these witnesses against him and none of them could like bring a, uh, a similar testimony against him because they were all lying. And, uh, people do that to other people too. I mean, that's, that's mankind especially among the wicked. Anyway, continuing on with the reading. Jesus warned his disciples that dangers would come from within their own ranks. They shall put you out of the synagogues, or in other words, the churches. John chapter 16, verse 2. Paul wrote to the saints, The mystery of iniquity doth already work. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. And I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. To the saints in Asia, he said, all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. Second Tim, uh, Timothy chapter 1 verse 15. And but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Then again, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 3, 3 and 4. The apostle Peter also warned, quote, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So privily, let's see if we can see what that means. Privy, so privy and privily, same sharing in the knowledge of something secret or private. He was no longer privy to her innermost thoughts. Uh, let's see, privies. No, I'm not going to read that. Privily, there it is. So it comes from Middle English originally in the sense of belonging to one's own private circle. Okay, so that's what that word means, privily. I like to look words up when I'm reading, and I'm like, well, I've heard that before, but I've never really actually looked it up. Now, let's see what heresies mean. I'm pretty sure I know what it means, but from the old Oxford American Dictionary, a heresy is a belief or opinion that is contrary to orthodox religion. All right, so... So basically what um, – so when Brigham Young taught seven deadly heresies according to Bruce R. McConkie, 
Now, Brigham Young didn't teach heresies. Brigham Young taught doctrine. Bruce R. McConkie, in his modern age, the church had changed doctrines, so they were the heretics because they changed the doctrines that Brigham Young taught. But instead of calling themselves what they were, they called Brigham Young one of the foundation, uh, foundational leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a heretic. But it, that definition doesn't work. Seven deadly heresies of Brigham Young. If Brigham Young was the not the founder of the religion, now Brigham Young ta- uh, taught that, that those heresies, he didn't call them heresies, he called them doctrine, were taught to him by Joseph Smith, like, um, well, blood atonement for one, but, uh, and that's a hard one to get into, but um, plural celestial marriage, the Adam-God doctrine, the law of adoption, council of 50, all these type of things. Um, He taught them as doctrine in the church from the pulpit. So later on, when the church had decided to disavow or get rid of or sweep under the rug or gaslight the fact that these things were taught, that meant that the church had changed the original doctrine of the church. And so Bruce R. McConkie calling Brigham Young a heretic was actually, Bruce R. McConkie was actually the heretic according to the definition of what heresies are. But anyway, let's see. Um, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily or privately shall bring in damnable heresies, meaning they they will change the doctrine. That happened in the early church. It's also happened in the Restoration. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. John also noted this apostasy when he said they had tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. Revelations chapter 2, verse 2. He also wrote to the seven churches in Asia, condemning each of them for extremely wicked sins. Jude tried to persuade the saints to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints, for there are certain men corrupt in unawares. Jude chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. How can such conditions be possible? Persecution is not the only means to destroy a religion. Its worst danger comes from the weaknesses and unfaithfulness of its own leaders. If opposition by force against truth is not successful, Satan then will resort to infiltration. At first, he hoists certain half-hearted men into positions of power and influence within the ranks of Christ's own disciples. He selects men who will abandon the law of God for the law of men. These compromisers will, for a price, barter off the principles of Christ for the traditions of men. The devil prizes such men above any others because they prove to be the most effectual at deception and destruction. These champions of spiritual darkness become tempted and lead away 
and led away by influences of wealth, the honors of men, and the desire to be at peace with their enemies. Such semi-apostates are usually found busily engaging in mercantile traffic, uh, traffic, money-making schemes, and are absorbed in their temporal affluence among all men. They are so concerned about the temporal progress of the church and in supporting the laws, traditions, and leaders of the land that they will barter away eternal principles to accomplish temporal peace. In their aspiration to acquire the praise of other men, they lose their bonds with heaven. These spiritually dead leaders sell eternal blessings for a mess of mortal pottage. In their eagerness to magnify the progress of the world and acquire the praise of worldly leaders, they lose sight of their dependence upon God and his word. At this critical point in, of history, the church stood in its greatest peril. Rome was the hub of the great Roman Empire and today is the headquarters for the Catholic Church. The story of the, uh, the transition from one of the most corrupt powers on earth to one of the most ritual, ritualistic religions is a fascinating study. The evolution of their attitude towards marriage is also very interesting, even appalling. The Roman leaders consecutively took numerous wives and tossed them aside like old shoes, while Catholicism restricted their leaders from having any wives at all. And that's not always the way it was. That's not how it started, but that's what it became, so... To understand this change in material attitude, we must go back to the lives and writings of Christ's apostles. As a Roman, Paul wrote in one of his letters, quote, Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles? And as brethren of the Lord and Cephas, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, he also said, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, that the powers that are, that, that are ordained of God, Romans 13.1. This could be the origin of the expression, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Paul was a Roman, he spoke as a Roman, and he honored the laws of the Romans. This would also be this would also become the reason given for many of the Christians to conform to the laws and customs of their particular secular government. It would be the justification offered by Christians for changing God's biblical laws of plural marriage to monogamous laws of the land. But Paul apparently did not honor all the Roman laws because in the end he was accused of political disobedience or at least a verbal expression of it, which was a capital offense. Tertullian, in his writing dated about 200 years after Christ, reported that Paul had been beheaded in Rome. Eusebius, Eusebius one of the early Christian bishops, who lived from about 264 A.D. to 349 A.D., records that under Nero, Paul, after having pled his cause, was sent a prisoner to Rome and that Paul passed two whole years at Rome as a prisoner at large and 
at and that in that city he finished his life within with martyrdom ecclesiastical history of eusebius page 74 in the beginning rome was very unfriendly towards christians later however she would would court tempt and finally seduce them with roman laws in opposition to the laws of god Westmark wrote a three-volume work entitled The History of Human Marriage, London 1921, and later summarized it in a book called, uh, simply called Marriage, in which he stated, quote, The New Testament does not expressly prohibit polygamy except in the case of a bishop and a deacon, and might he add, the ban was by Paul, not by Christ, and also there's mistranslations there. It should not read a bishop and a deacon should be the husband of one wife. It, it should be that a bishop and a deacon should be married to at least one wife. That's the mistranslation. No council of the church in the earliest centuries opposed polygamy and no obstacle was put in the way of its practice by kings and countries. Oh, my wife's calling in. Let me add her to the radio show real quick. Hold on. Okay, my wife's on the call. Hi, Kim. Are you there? Hi, can you hear me? Sorry. Yeah, yep. I, so, I figured you were not going to like announce right away, so then I didn't. I muted my line. <laughs> Oh, I always tell people, when, well, before you call, I'm always like, oh, my wife's calling. I'm going to add her in. And then as soon as you're on, I'm like, okay, Kim's here. So Kim is my wife, and she is my unpaid. Well, I guess I do pay her because I give her my paycheck, and then she gives me a, a pittance of an allowance. But she's my sound engineer, so if my, my phone's cutting up, she'll let me know. And, like, that's the only way I'll ever know if my phone's cutting out. So. <laughs> Anyway, did you have anything? To, we're actually talking about um, polygamy among the early Christians. Okay. So, anyway, I, I'll just get back into what I was reading. Let's okay. see here. No council of the church in the earliest centuries opposed polygamy, and no obstacle was put in the way of its practice by kings and countries where it had occurred in the times of paganism. For example, in Ireland and among the Merovingians, the Merovingian kings, uh, marriage by Westermark, page 62. All right. It is said that Julius Caesar attempted to have a law passed in favor of polygamy, but could not put it into effect. He found for himself that once a tradition tradition is set into society is most difficult to extract. And if you go back a couple of programs, we actually talked about how Rome became monogamous and how Rome was founded, actually, and it's really interesting. And uh, basically what was going on was there was a bunch of guys that were in the seven hills of what we call the seven hills of Rome, and they were a bunch of outlaws and robbers and murderers and thieves. And it was a bunch of guys, and they didn't have any women. So they tricked this other uh, 
this other group of people into coming to their festival and then they kidnapped a bunch of their women, but they only had enough women to like, not to even have enough for everybody. So, So they made this law where they're like, nobody's allowed to have more than one wife because they didn't have enough women to go around so everybody could have a wife. Anyway, and then there was some other things that happened too, but that was the beginning of the monogamy stuff that was instituted by Rome. So once the tradition got into that, uh, to effect when Julius Caesar um, tried to like get polygamy, like de, uh, what do you call it, um, decriminalized, well, it didn't work. So anyway, let's see here. The Christians had not been instructed by law to obey any particular form of marriage, monogamous, polygamous, or celibate. It was their free choice. According to Martin Luther, celibacy was first imposed on church leaders over two centuries after the time of Christ, which is the truth. Like I said, it didn't start out that way. That's just the way it, it eventually became. Anyway, the celibacy of spiritual persons began in the time of Cyprinian, who lived 250 years after the birth of Christ, and quote, Table Talk of Martin Luther by Hazlitt, page 307. George Buchanan, an early Mormon apostle, spoke of the more lasting nature of polygamous nations as compared to monogamous ones. Rome, for example, quote, But the history of the world goes to prove that the practice of this principle, speaking of plural celestial marriage, even by nations ignorant of the gospel has resulted in a greater good to them than the practice of monogamy or a one-wife system in this so-called Christian nation, or so-called Christian nations. Where are nations that have existed from time and memorial. They are not uh, not to be found in Christian monogamic monogamic, uh, Europe, but in Asia, among the polygamous races of China, Japan, Hindustan, and various races of that vast continent. Those nations from the most remote times practice plural marriage handed down to them by their forefathers. Although they are looked upon by the nations of Europe as un, or semi-civilized, you will not find among them women prostitutes, debased or degraded as she, as she is through Christendom. You may be treated coldly and degraded, but among them except where the Christian elements prevail to a large extent, she is not debased and polluted as she is among the so-called Christian nations. It is a fact worthy of note that the shortest-lived nations of record, which we have record of, have been those who practice monogamy. Rome, with her arts and sciences and warlike instincts, was one of the mistresses of the world, but her her glory faded. She was a nation that practiced monogamy, and the numerous evils attended to that system early laid the foundation of what eventually overtook her. The strongest sayings of Jesus 
uh, Jesus Christ recorded in the New Testament were leveled at the dreadful corruptions practiced in Rome and wherever the Romans held sway. The leaven of their institutions had worked its way into the Jewish nation, and Jewry, or Palestine, being then a Roman province and governed by Roman officers who brought with them their wicked institutions, and Jesus denounced the practices which prevailed there. Um, that was Orson Pratt, Journal of Discourses, Volume 13, page 202. When did Christianity adopt the laws of monogamy from the Romans? The answer is easy. The marriage laws of the Romans entered into Christianity about the same time most of their false doctrines did, nearly 300 years after the establishment of Christianity. It is true that many small and gradual changes took place within the Church of Christ shortly after the death of Jesus, but most of the critical deviations came through the actions of the Emperor Constantine. He probably had more influence on what Christians eventually believed than Christ himself did. Or on page 106, if anyone's reading along. So we have four pages left. I might actually split this into two parts instead of three. We'll see what happens. The Diocletian oppression was the last of the great persecutions brought by pagan Rome against Christianity as a whole. A stupendous change amounting to a revolution now appears to or now appears in the affairs of the church. Affairs of the church. Constantine, known in history as Constantine the Great, became the emperor of Rome in 306 AD and, re, and reigned for 31 years. And quote, the great apostasy by the apostle James E. Talmadge, page 75. Constantine turned from the persecution of the Christians to placing them in a position of worldly honor, rank, and the highest privileges. The unbelieving Romans became Christians, and the Christians began to think, act, and live like the Romans. Philip Shape, a noted historian, describes this conversation. Quote, the reign of Constantine the Great marks the transition of the Christian religion from under persecution by the secular government to union with the same. The beginning of the state church system, the despised sect, which like its founder in the days of this hum humiliation, had not where to lay its head to raise, is, is raised to sovereign authority in the state and enters into the or prerogatives of the pagan priesthood grows rich and powerful, builds countless churches out of stone, stones of idle temples to the honor of Christ and his martyrs, employs the wisdom of Greek or Greece and Rome to vindicate the foolishness of the cross and exerts a molding power upon the civil legislation rules, the national life and leads off the history of the world. Now, too, for the first time, could ecumenical councils be held in which the Church of, Ro of the Church of the whole Roman Empire was represented, and fixed 
its articles of faith in an authoritative way. Constantine, the first Christian Caesar, the founder of Constantinople, and the Byzantine Empire, the one of the most gifted, energetic, and successful of the Roman emperors, was the first representative of the imposing idea of a Christian theocracy or of a system of policy which assumes all subjects to be Christians, connects civil and religious rights, and regards church and state as, the same, as two arms of the same divine government on the earth. And quote, History of, of the Christian Church by Shafe, Volume 3. Thus the gradual merging of Christ and Caesar culminated in the time of Constantine. Here was a man for all seasons, a man who revolutionized both Christianity and the Roman Empire. Romans became Christians and Christians became Romans. What kind of man was Constantine? A keen supporter of the gladiatorial, or gladiatorial games during his youth and a commander who threw his German prisoners to wild beasts, Constantine executed both his wife, Fosta, and his eldest son, Cyprius, by ordering that they should be slowly suffocated in the hot rooms of their bathhouses. For some while, he divided his allegiance between the sun god, Apollos, and the Christian savior, Yeshua, or Jesus, or what the Gentiles now modernly call Jesus. He would appear to have valued Christian relics primarily as magic working charms, the Colosseum life, uh, page 69. Kim is looking at me. Our, our cat had kittens in the garage. And we hear baby kitten noises. There's a baby chick. So we had baby chickens and baby kitties on the same day. I love spring. Okay, my wife is going to go find the baby kittens that the cat had in the garage that we, they can't find. How'd the cat get in the house? Oh, that's what, that's what happens when you have six-year-olds. They bring cats in houses because they catch the cats and... <laughs> and then they bring them into the house. So uh, hopefully she had all of her babies. We actually had kittens about a month and a half ago. And I don't know why. My kids thought that they could bring the kittens into their room when I put them in another room and closed the door so that they would be protected. I told them not to mess with the kittens and just let them, there was like a thing so the cat could get in and out, but the dog's, uh, dog couldn't go in there. And my daughter didn't close her door where the dog usually sleeps, and the dog went into the bedroom of the other room and killed the kittens. So, which made me want to kill the dog, but I, I don't think he meant to kill the kittens. I think he was just 
trying to figure them out or something. I don't know. Anyway, I'm pretty upset about that. But now we've got new kittens, so hopefully we can keep these ones alive. And my wife bought, like, this 40-egg incubator. I don't know why, because we've got a 1,000 chickens anyway, and we've got too many eggs. If anybody lives in Emory County and you want free eggs, contact me on Facebook. Anyway, <laughs> we'll meet you somewhere, and you can have eggs. Because, oh, my gosh, I don't even know what to do with all these eggs. How do you, I, I told my wife we need to pickle them and put them in food storage so we can survive on pickled eggs during the apocalypse, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, all right, sorry. Getting back to the readings. Constantine was a showman. He knew how to invite, persuade, and rule over people. As, as an emperor, he certainly acted the part. He was not only enmeshed, he not only enmeshed the Christian and the Roman nationality, but he also blended their religions, economic, social, and political ideals. So pagan Rome hijacked early Christianity and ran it into uh, to pagan Roman cu- customs and traditions, and then you've got this this hybridic whore who is not what Jesus Christ um, created. It wasn't the original church. This is something completely different because Satan wanted to hijack early Christianity as he does all religions, as he did with the restoration as well. When meeting with the religious leaders, the emperor waited until all the bishops had taken their seats before making his entry. He was clad in gold and covered with precious stones in the fashions of the oriental sovereign. A chair of gold had been made ready for him, and when he had taken his place, the bishops seated themselves. Catholic Encyclopedia, Volume 2, page 44. How unusual that this man set the rules for the Christian church, and yet he himself was not even a member of it. He possessed it as his faith, but was not baptized until just before his death. And how Constantine was baptized is how we got sprinkling. Baptism, or baptismo, or I can't remember if that was the right word. Um, the the mikvah, which is the Hebrew word for baptism, is a full-body immersion. Where you go down into the water and you are baptized and you come forth up out of the water. But Constantine didn't want to get baptized until he couldn't be wicked anymore. So he waited all the way to the end of his life till he got sick and he was going to die. And then he was too sick to be immersed in the water. So he authorized as a pagan, wicked man, he authorized the sprinkling and called that a baptism. Because he was a narcissistic, I don't even know. That's how you get sprinkling baptism. That's where that comes from. B.H. Roberts explained why he delayed his baptism. Quote, and B.H. Roberts, Brigham Heber Roberts, was the presidency of the 70 back in the 1920s. 
um, he actually wrote a lot of good stuff, and I really enjoy his work. But anyway, the professed Christian, like professed Christian for many years, if we may believe, uh, let's see if we can, no definition found. I'm, I'm just going to take a stab at this word. Well, let's see what the maybe the reader program will pronounce it better for me. Let me just see if I can. Iacantius. Oh, I never thought of that before. Okay, so if we may believe Iacantius and Eusebius, he postponed his baptism after the fashion of his time until the very last year of his life in order that purified at once from the stain of sin by means of it he might be sure of entering into bliss such the explanation of those who would defend this delay in the, of the emperor but one cannot fail to remember that it was quite customary at this time among many professing the Christian religion to put off baptism as long as they dared that they might enjoy a life of sin and then through the means of baptism just before death as by magic obtain forgiveness and that's uh, B.H. Roberts doctrinal history of the church uh, and that's in the introduction so B.H. Roberts piled the doctrinal history of the church that we quote all the time that was B.H. Roberts. He was a president of the 70 back in the 19-teens, 1920s, sometime around that time period. Constantine was not baptized into the church until 337 AD, AD, only days before his death. Because, well, because he wanted to be a wicked man and he wanted forgiveness for living in sin. See, Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins as we turn to him and heed his counsel, if you love me, keep my commandments, not to save us in our sins, to let us do whatever we want. But Constantine, for some reason, he decided to wait all the way until the very end of his life, and then he was too sick to get baptized, so they took holy water and they sprinkled them with it. And they call that a baptism. Because why not change things? Change is fun, right? We change things. We change the doctrines and the, the ordinances and the endowments and the washings and the anointings and who Jesus Christ is and pretend that he's Jehovah when he's not, according to Ether chapter 3 and according to the early teachings of the church fathers in the restoration. We change the endowment. We take things out of the endowment. The endowment used to be an eight-hour long process, and now we can do it in an hour and a half because we just continue to take things. But change is fine, right? Constantine changed things, so why can't we change things? Because Constantine was a pagan, heathen, Satanist. <laughs> and we shouldn't emulate what he did. Just saying. The ceremony presided over by Eusebius, who was the bishop of Rome, the personage of somewhat grievous no, no, n noriety. 
and quote the early history of the church by Ab Duchesne. Let's see, volume two, page 71. It was well said that his baptism was an event that Constantine had been hedging all his life, trying to be a Christian to the Christians and a heathen to the heathens. Nicene and Post-Nicene Fathers, volume one, page 556. By the turn of the the fifth century, the gladiator schools were closed, and by the 404 AD, gladiator games were abolished. However, criminals and enemies were sent to the Colosseum to fight wild beasts for another hundred years. Some, but not all, of the practices of paganism began to disappear. However, many Roman customs, traditions, and laws have continued to the present time. The leadership of Rome gradually changed from emperors to popes, and their standards and morality of marriage evolved accordingly. The sexual licentiousness under the emperor's monogamy changed to a strict moral ethics of the pope's celibacy from one end of the moral spectrum to the other. But even with this reversal from the total sexual indulgences to complete abstinence, polygamy was still against the law. Ironically, plural marriage sanctioned by God was outlawed, but celibacy, which was prohibited by God, became a law for the priest. Living a celibate life was in direct opposition to such scriptures as therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. And be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. When the Roman emperor and the Roman empire and the Christian church were unified, they both compromised their principles. In the process, the Christians lost some of the true principles and replaced them with the false ones of Rome. The state might have had to yield, but now that it had protected the church and showed privileges and wealth upon her, it demanded all the more her absolute surrender. Thus might the friendship of the Roman state have proved more dangerous than its enmity, and in the embrace of the empire, the spiritual powers of the church ran the risk of suffocation. And quote, Outlines of Church History by Randolph Soham, page 46. So I'm almost done with the reading for today, but like I said, we're going to put this into three different parts. And... Um, Well, I don't know. Anyway, so I'll read the first part of tomorrow's program. And uh, if we have any questions or comments, you can call in. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. Or if you want to just go on in the chat room, and ask me a question or make comments there, I will read them on air. And uh, you can do that at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And then uh, we'll see what happens. If we don't have anything, I might talk about something real quick and then go. 
So I, uh, for those of you who are just learning about this program, I actually do this from 4 p.m. until I'm done, five days a week. I drive a semi-truck all night long hauling coal from coal mines to power plants and coal mines to rail yards and rail yards to power plants and all within a 100-mile radius of where I live in Emory County. So I drive all night long. I do the radio show when I first wake up. And that's why I do it from 4 p.m. until we're done. And I try to get to work before 6. So um, that's just that's what I do. So that's why I'm doing this at this time. Anyway, persecution by the Romans was a means of purifying the church. But when they were offered goodwill, favors, offices, wealth, and power, it was poisoned to the body of the Christian religion. Roman laws became more and more acceptable to the Christians, and monogamy was one of them. (coughs) Excuse me. I don't have it billboarded on here. I can't read you the next part because the next part is on my other phone, and I don't have that uh, right next to me. So anyway, um, it doesn't look like we have anybody in the chat room or uh, calling in. So um, I did want to thank my friend, uh, excuse me, David, for um, sending me money to help out with the program. I just wanted to let him know that I used that to advertise my new page, Zion's Redemption Radio Network, to target audiences in different parts of the country. Um, I'm targeting (laughs) BYU in Rexburg, Idaho, and in Provo, Utah, men between the ages of 20 uh, 20 to 27. So if you are seeing ads on Facebook, that's why, because my friend David sent me some money, and I am using that not for myself, but for the work of this educational um, basic, basically non-profit. I don't make any money. On, I don't want to make any money on this. And when people decide they want to send me money, I am very thankful for that. I don't take any of it for myself. I pass it on through different means. And today I decided I'm going to use this money for advertisement for a month. So anyway, um, it'll only reach between 18 to 80 people or something like that a day. So it's not a lot, but it's more than going on before. So if you already like the page, you're probably not going to see the advertisements. I don't know. I think it said to exclude them from it if they already know about the page. So um, Zion's Redemption Radio Network is uh, the overall umbrella of the podcast that, uh, that I support and that I do. It started off with a program called The Kingdom of God or Nothing, which I got from John Taylor. The Kingdom of God or Nothing was a podcast that I did from 2014 until 2016 or 17. And then I started another podcast April 6th of 2018, and that's this program, Fundamentally Mormon. And the reason I changed it, well, there was a bunch of reasons, but part of it was 
even though the Kingdom of God or Nothing had hundreds of thousands of of listens, I was trying to get a target audience of Mormons, and I was getting more Christians than Mormons, which was fine because that led to a lot of people uh, seeking baptism and all of those type of things. But I'm trying to reach my brothers in the Mormon church, my brothers and sisters in the Mormon church. So I changed it to fundamentally Mormon, hoping that that would uh, reach a more target audience. Also, um, I am a supporter of Doctrines of Christ website and their Zoom calls. I try to post them on my on my group pages on Facebook and share that information. And also Rob K's Mormon Yeshiva and Pure Mormonism by Rock Waterman and other people that I really enjoy and support and love to listen to them. So I'm hoping Zion's Redemption Radio Network Facebook page can be a place where I can post different things from a faithful Mormon perspective that a faithful overall Mormon perspective, not just the Brighamite church. So the Stringites, um, people in fundamentalism, uh, the reorganized church, I would like to be able to have that Zion's Redemption Radio Network as a overall umbrella for sharing those um, like podcasts and perspectives within faithful Mormonism. Um, so I, I, that's what I'm. That's what the page is for. So I'm promoting the page to carry my own platform of fundamentally Mormon and uh, my YouTube page, uh, fundamentally Mormon on YouTube, as well as the podcast and the old radio show, The Kingdom of God or Nothing. Um, and other platforms that are other programs or blogs that I uh, find fascinating. If you would like to submit, excuse me, if you would like to submit something for me to consider posting on that page, you can do so by friend requesting me, Mark Lichtenwalter, on Facebook, and you can find my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash L. A Z U R U S nineteen seventy seven and I try to I try to check those messages once a day, at least once a day. Um so if you have anything that you want me to post on there, I will take a look at it and then uh I'll choose whether or not I'm gonna post it. So anyway, um I think that that's the end of the program. I will be back on tomorrow with pages one uh, one uh, one ten to one twenty, and then on Monday we'll be reading one twenty to one thirty to end the chapter, and then we'll go on to the next chapter after that. So, thank you everyone for listening. Take care. God bless, and goodbye.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.